So far in our series, Love Lessons, we have seen several attributes of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've seen that love is patient, kind, and forgiving. And now Paul starts to point out what love is not. And not surprisingly, the first non-love that he points to is pride, something that every single one of us struggles with. It's not a surprise that he points to pride, just like he pointed to patience as the first attribute of love. Because if we're not patient, we will not display the other attributes of love. But here's the thing with pride. Pride poisons our hearts, it puffs us up, and it positions us to focus on self instead of serving. And as long as you and I are focused on self, we will never be focused on service. And so Paul doesn't spend the majority of his time talking about the problems of pride. He gives us the antidote. You see, a lot of times what we do is we spend our time talking about the sin, not the solution. And we get stuck on that sin. And so what Paul does is he reveals the sin, and then he says, here's the solution. This is the antidote to pride. And the antidote to pride is cultivating a heart that is humble. And so today, as we look at this idea of humility, my prayer is this. God would expose our hypocrisy, that false humility, that that, that pride that really we're cloaking in humility. And in its place, he would replace our hypocrisy with true, authentic, loving humility. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be clung to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul doesn't just give us here the exaltation to humility, but he reveals the example of humility. And as we look, number one, at the example of humility, we are given the greatest example And that is Jesus Christ. This is not just for you and I to sort of try to look like Jesus, but to actually live like Jesus and love like Jesus. And so I want to ask you this question. Who or what is your example? Who are you modeling your life after? Is it Jesus? And why does it matter? Because your model will be what molds you. Now Paul here 
is not afraid to reveal the reality that living a humble life is often hard. You see, we get this idea in the church sometimes that when I come to Jesus Christ, everything's going to be roses and rainbows from that point on, right? But what he says here as he points to Christ as the example of humility, he says, I want you to also see the pain involved in that. That, that a humble heart is often a time where it is hard for us and sometimes hurtful for us. That there is pain involved in living the true, authentic Christian life. And many Christians, we want to follow Christ until it requires sacrifice. And I've heard this over and over again. Well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, if it's going to be hard, I'm out. Because what we want is we want the easy life, not the abundant life. And yet Jesus here gives up everything. He humbles himself and puts on flesh. And then he humbles himself and allows that flesh to be abused and nailed to the cross of Calvary. What a stark contrast between the humility of Christ willing to suffer and go through pain and the Philippian church that's warring and fighting with one another because they want to make it about themselves. Why did they not have a heart of humility? Why did Paul have to call them to this? Because instead of chasing after the Redeemer, they were making it about their rights. And we've all been there. I have a right to this and I have a right to that. But what if instead of making it all about our rights, we made it about the Redeemer and living right? And so Jesus steps out of eternity and into time. Have you ever thought about what a step down that was? You see, because Jesus was willing to step down, those of us who place our faith in Jesus will get to step up. That's the reality of humility. Humility steps aside so someone else can step up. Jesus took the greatest step down from heaven to earth so that someday you and I could take the greatest step up. You and I are going to step into the glory of God because Jesus was willing to step into our garbage. Now, maybe this week and this month has been the best you've ever had in your life. And you're just like, man, life is so good. Can I tell you, the step up is better. Maybe you're living the, the, the hardest week of your life and you're like, man, this is just terrible. Can I tell you? There's a step up coming. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you admitted that you're a sinner and you have cried out for Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. Now, Paul here doesn't just focus on the pain. He also reveals the gain. And he says, church, you have to look at the long term. You can't just be a short-sighted Christian that's focused on the pain. The gain is coming. And Jesus Christ was humiliated. He went through humiliation, but also exaltation. He was lifted up at the right time. And in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the greatest, highest honor. Do you realize the same is true for us? That yes, having a humble heart requires some pain, but there's also great gain that is coming. Because it says this in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, 
Clothe yourself with humility as you relate to one another, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will honor you. He will lift you up. So here's the challenge to us today. You worry about your humility and let God worry about your honor. But what are we doing today? I want to worry about my honor. And you know what? The moment you start focusing on your honor and not your humility, guess what God's got to focus on? Your humility. And some of us were being humbled today. Why? Because we're so focused and worried about our, our honor that God's got to take care of our humility for us. What's your example? Is your example Jesus? Because if, if Jesus is your example, then you need to study his life. You need to walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus every moment of every day. You see, it's here that we come to the exhortation, and the exhortation involves a request. It involves the reason for the request and also the results of the request. And what is the request? That you and I would be like-minded that we would work together and have the same purpose as the body of Christ. Now, this is not a call to uniformity. This is not you and I being called to just be little Christian clones where we all look the same. We have the freedom for diversity, but not the freedom for division. And so here's the challenge for us. How well do you get along with your spiritual siblings? How well do you play with other Christians? Are you willing to value them and to work with them? You see, some of us, we only get along with our brothers and sisters in Christ as long as we get in our way. And what that reveals is a pride issue in our life. Now, here's the reason for that request of you and I working together with one mind and one purpose. But before we share that, I want to point something out. Paul motivates us here with mercy, not manipulation. And there are many of us that have fallen prey to this performance-based parenting. Where we say to our kids, I'll love you if, I'll love you when, you get the right grades, you have the right friends, there's all of this, uh, the, these things that our kids have to do. And it seems to be effective because our kids are doing what we want them to do. But can I tell you something? That's not motivating people. That's manipulating people. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to turn around and bite you. It's going to hurt their hearts. Because Paul here doesn't motivate us with manipulation, but with mercy. And the first mercy motivation is this, your relationship with Jesus. Why should I get along with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Because I belong to Jesus. Because I'm a part of a family. Two of the greatest needs that every single human being has in their heart is a need to belong and a need to be loved. And those are fulfilled by the Lord. It says here, because you belong to the Lord. When was the last time you stopped to consider that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're loved and you belong? You have a family. You have a home. That's an amazing thought. But see, many of us were running trying to get to, to fit in with this crowd over here and we're trying to get love from all the wrong places because we're not coming back and resting in that relationship with the Lord. Last weekend, Johnny did a phenomenal job preaching right out of high school. Isn't that awesome? Got another preacher heading off to Bible school. Going to make an impact in this world for Jesus. 
And he brought up that scripture in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For what? I am gentle and humble in heart. And Ben and I came up, and we had our stuff, man. And, and I had way more junk in my life than Ben did. Don't worry. It's coming, man. You just, no, I'm kidding. Stay in the ministry long enough. No. But I was carrying all this stuff, right? And it was easy to focus on that and be like, well, Ben's just got a little bit of stuff. Well, what did Johnny say? We got to lay it all down. But it wasn't just laying it down with Jesus. It's also about taking up that relationship with him. You see, if you and I want to cultivate a humble heart, we need to spend time with the heart of Jesus. Now, how does that cultivate a heart of humility? Did you, did you hear the scripture? Come to me. Why? Because I'm humble in heart. Again, it goes back to your example, your model. Jesus is modeling this for us. He has the kind of heart that he wants to cultivate within us. And here's what happens. As we spend time with Jesus, we bump up against this word called grace. You see, grace is all about what Jesus did on the cross for us. Johnny said this, Jesus has already done the heavy lifting, right? He's invited us to rest in this relationship, to take this light yoke on us. And the reality is this, that, that as we, we think about all of what Jesus Christ has done, it's pretty hard to start being prideful and boasting. Man, I'm going to boast about my salvation. What did you do? Uh, nothing. Jesus did it all. You got nothing to boast about. I'm going to boast about my preaching. Well, who created you? Who gave you the voice? Who put it in your heart? It's all about Jesus, right? And if we could just get back to that point of recognizing all of what he's done, and if we would not only get grace, but we're willing to give grace, it would cultivate within us a humble heart. We would be less prideful and boastful. We would be singing about Jesus and not about ourselves. But you see, the other mercy motivator here is that we are to rely on the Holy Spirit. That means you and I are to be sensitive to the Spirit of God, not just to hear Him and listen to Him, but to obey Him. Now, I want to share something with you. Just because you've been a Christian a long time, just because you walk regularly with God doesn't mean that you're not going to blow it from time to time. You see, relying on the Holy Spirit is not a formula. It's not based on how long you've been a Christian. And so I want to share a personal failure in my own life from a couple of weeks ago. When I was 10 years old, um, I knew God had called me to be a pastor. But I didn't want to be a pastor. You ever been there where God calls you to do something, you don't want to do it? You ever been a kid where your parents asked you to do something, you didn't want to do it? it it's, it's, it's called disobedience, right? Rebellion. And the reason why is my best friend was a pastor's kid. Growing up in Africa, I was at his home all the time, and I heard all of the things that parishioners said and the community said. I watched how hard it was for their kids, and I said, you know what? I don't want that for my family. So, God, I don't trust you. I'm, I'm going to do what I think would be best for my family, not what you know is best for my family. And it started me on a path of rebellion. Rebellion is just saying no to God. Do you remember when Jonah said no to God. I ain't going to Nineveh. Don't want to do it. He had his reasons for not going. Do you notice he went and he preached and he did what God called him to do? That's grace. God brings you back to what he's called you to do because there's, there's no plan B for your life. 
You're either going to submit to what he's called you to, or you're going to live in rebellion. Those are the only options. And so when I went to college, I should have gone to college to study to be a pastor, to study the Bible and and get a theology degree. But I went to study biology and chemistry because I was going to be a doctor because I'm not going to do what God's called me to do. And I had this chemistry professor, Dr. Lee Netherton, who in that time when I was messed up and muddled up in my mind, which is what happens when you're living in rebellion to God, he just kept modeling Jesus over and over and over. And so a couple of weeks ago, as I was prayer walking, I felt like the Spirit of God was just saying, you need to call Dr. Netherton. And you need to just thank him for, for setting that example of Jesus in your life at a time where you were mixed up. And so I got a hold of his son, Rob, and Rob used to cut my hair in college. And no, that's not the reason my hair hasn't been cut for a while. We'll get to that later, maybe. <laughs> I said, hey, I need your dad's number. I need to call him. And so he sent me the number. And then you know how life is? Everything got crazy busy for several weeks. And I never called. Spirit of God laid on my heart. I heard, I listened, I didn't obey. And we make these excuses, but I was really busy and I had these funerals and I had all, it's still disobedience. You can justify it however you want, it's still disobedience. And so a couple weeks ago as I was prayer walking, felt like the Spirit of God was saying, hey, you've missed the window here. And so in a panic, I, I got a hold of my friend and I said, hey, is your dad okay? And he said, no, he's got cancer. It's terminal. And last night, he became unresponsive. A couple days later, he died. Missed my window. Here. How important is it for us to be sensitive to the Spirit of God? But you see, unless we're willing to have that humble heart, we're not going to do that. Relying on the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the beauty of grace. Dr. Netherton was a believer, I'm a believer, and someday I will get to see him again in heaven. And after I've hugged my mama, the next thing I'm going to do is walk up to his mansion, I'm going to knock on the door, and we're going to have that conversation that I should have had here. Now, I don't know why the Spirit of God laid that heavy on my heart that day. Maybe it's because at the end of his life, he needed to hear from somebody, you made a difference, you impacted my life. And so today, I just want to challenge you. If there's somebody that has impacted your life, tell them, hey, you made a difference in my life. Thank you for modeling Jesus for me. You see, it's here that we see the results. And what are the results of a life of humility? Well, the first is that there will be more joy. Secondly, Paul says that we will be agreeable. We will agree wholeheartedly with each other. We will be loving. We will work together with one mind and purpose. We will be humble and we'll put others up instead of putting them down because we'll consider them as more important than ourselves. So I want you to think of the most important relationships that you currently have. Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with friends. And I want you to answer this question. How would your relationships be different if there was more joy? How would your marriage be different if there was more joy. How would those relationships be different if you were more agreeable? If you stopped squabbling and you started working together instead of warring with one another? If you were more loving 
If you were more humble, if you would put each other up instead of putting each other down, your relationships would be radically transformed, right? I think every one of us in here and listening online could say, I want to have those kinds of relationships. I want more joy in my marriage. I want us to be more agreeable. I want us to work together. I want us to have that heart of humility instead of that heart of pride. I want us to put each other up instead of putting each other down. I want us to be more loving. But how do we do that? How do we cultivate this heart of humility that brings these incredible results into our relationships? It's here that Paul, number three, gives us the explanation. And there's two things here. One is you have to have a right view of yourself. And secondly, you have to rightly value other people. And as we think about having a right view of ourselves, have you ever noticed the quiet confidence that humble people have? It's not an arrogant confidence. It's it's a quiet confidence. It's true, authentic, contentment kind of confidence. Why? Because they know not just who they are, but whose they are. They know they're a child of the king. They have a right biblical view of themselves. They understand what Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself as more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. You see, there's two areas where we can err here. One is we can think too highly of ourselves. The other is we can think too lowly of ourselves. You and I can either be overinflated or underinflated. And a couple of weeks ago, as we looked at learning to love yourself in the series Love Lessons, I used the example of two basketballs. One was overinflated, one was underinflated. And neither one of them was going to work to play the game, right? Because one was bouncing off wildly, the other one had no bounce at all. And, and it's so easy for you and I to become overinflated in our life or underinflated. And pride is one of those things that sometimes we don't even realize we're prideful until we get into certain situations and God reveals our true core heart. Search me and show me. And God will show you. Like the college student from America who had the privilege of going overseas, specifically to Germany, and they got to go to where Beethoven's museum is, the famous composer. And this student played the piano, wasn't a professional, an amateur, but played the piano. And and when they came up to that part of the exhibit where they got to see this piano that Beethoven had, had used to compose many of his symphonies, she said to the guard, hey, is there any way I could play just a little bit on that? She gave him a lavish tip. And he said, just a few moments. And so she played just, just, a, just a little bit. And she got off and, and she had this huge smile on her face and she said to the guard, I bet all the great pianists from around the world when they come here, they want to play that, don't they? And he said, no, they don't. And she says, well, what, what, what do you mean? They don't want to play Beethoven's piano. And he said, well... Just a couple weeks ago, we had the famous pianist from Poland here. And when we asked him if he wanted to play on Beethoven's piano, he said, I'm not worthy to touch it. Isn't that amazing how we, 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 we reveal our pride? You see, if we're not careful, we'll start to think that we're all that and then some. The famous preacher, Philip Brooks, said this. The true way to humility is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what your real smallness of your greatness is. I like that quote. 
When was the last time you stood in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you saw the real smallness of your greatness? We need that. Corrie ten Boom, who had lots of opportunities to share her God story after the war. You remember, she was the Dutch woman who had saved so many Jewish lives from the Nazis. They found out, and so during the Holocaust, they put her and her family in a concentration camp, and most of her family died in that camp. But after the war, she got to share these amazing stories of her trust in God, and, and she became very famous, in fact, most churches and organizations all over the world were clamoring to get her to come and speak. And there was this lady who asked her one day, she said, Corey, with all of the notoriety, do you ever find yourself struggling with pride? And she said this, you know, on that day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and he rode in on the donkey, and they were cutting down the palm branches and throwing their cloaks and singing his praises. Do you think for one moment that it ever entered into the donkey's head, this is all for me? She said, as long as I can just be that donkey, as long as I recognize my job is to bring in the glory of God. Church, the way up is down. But sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously. Sometimes in our families, we, we, we just get so caught up in ourselves. A while back, it's been quite a while back, my youngest daughter, Olivia, came to me and she, she said this, Dad, if I got 50 retweets on Twitter, now some of you are lost already, let me explain. You know that thing that the president does, tweeting? That's what we're talking about. Retweeting is just simply putting that out and someone then sends it on. If I got 50 retweets on Twitter, would you grow out your hair? Well, we have to define what does grow out your hair mean. So I asked her, I said, how long? And this is what she said, long enough to put it in a man bun. I thought for all of... 0.5 of a second. And I looked at her very sternly and I said, absolutely not. I don't think men should wear buns. I think that's for women. It's my personal opinion. So there's no way I'm going to do that. And she kind of hung her head down and she's walking out. And I said, Olivia, you double it, I'll do it. So, Olivia, just for you, because we tend to take ourselves way too seriously. I had to ask your mom how to do this. <laughs> that gives you a little bit of a clue that if you've got to ask a woman how to do something, it's probably not very manly. But there you go. Two times I'm going to preach in a man bun. This is the first and the last. You see, the second thing that you and I have to do is to rightly value other people. Do, do you see people as a treasure? Do you value people? Isn't it amazing how judgmental and critical we are? How much most of the time we're like the Pharisees instead of like God the Father? 
What happens when we run into someone and we see and it's a guy and we're like, he's got a man bun? Immediately we judge that, don't we? What happens when we see people with tattoos? We immediately judge that. What happens when we see somebody that's overweight? We immediately judge that. And we could list off all of these different things. Do you ever stop to ask someone about their tattoos? It's an amazing door that opens into being able to have spiritual conversations with people. Because a lot of people, not all, but a lot of people, one or more of their tattoos has to do with a loved one that they've lost. Something special or significant that happened in their life that they want to remember. But what do we do? We judge that. A guy's got long hair, so he must not have a job. I mean, that's just kind of how we think, right? And we become so critical and judgmental that what we do is we trash people instead of treasuring them. And that's before we've ever said anything to them. But what would happen if you started to treasure the people in your life? You started to see them the way that, that God sees them. Because what starts to happen in our lives when we do that is pride sets in. Because we're setting ourselves up as the model of the way everyone else should look or act. And what happens when we promote ourselves is we demote God. Here's what it says in Psalm 10.4. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. And we can say, oh, but that's just the wicked person that's not saved. But what about us? How much room in our hearts and in our lives is there for God? I'm going to tell you this. When I'm spending the majority of my time judging people, there's very little room for Jesus. Very little room for God. Humility's hard. The way up is down. D.L. Moody, the famous preacher, said this. The beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less. And the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. We know that this Christian characteristic called humility is so needed in our lives. And yet it's so hard to attain and it's so hard to hold on to. The former dean of the Bailey University Theological Seminary, Paul Powell, said this, Pride is so subtle that if we aren't careful, we'll be proud of our humility. <laughs> Man, look at me. I'm a really great Christian. What happened to pride? It just showed up to stay, and it's going to eat at your heart. He went on to say this, When that happens, goodness becomes badness. Our virtues become vices. We can easily become like the Sunday school teacher who, having told the story of the Pharisees and the publican, said, children, let's bow our heads and thank God that we are not like the Pharisees. Missed the whole point of the story. And that's what can happen to us in the church today. We set ourselves up like we're better than unsaved people. No, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. The difference is we found the Savior And we can't have our own little Christian club and call it church. We can't have our own little cliques. We've got to go out and we've got to be willing to share Jesus with other people. So as we close, there's three things I want you to do this week. Number one, learn to rightly view yourself. Go through your Bible and mark all the passages of what God says about you. And then what I want you to do with that is either write them out or print them out and put them in prominent places in your home. Like on your bathroom mirror, hopefully you look at it before you head out for the day. On your fridge, in your car, 
Maybe you can put it as a screensaver on your phone or on your computer where you are reminded of who you are in Christ. And then remind yourself of this. Without him, you'd be nothing. Second thing I want you to do is learn to value other people. Spend less time judging and more time sharing Jesus. And then the third thing I want you to do is I want you to learn to bless the people around you. Look for someone that needs a helping hand and humble yourself and step down so they can step up. One of the things I do every morning, and it's changed my life, is a simple prayer. God, today, would you give me one person that I could bless? Here's what happens. The rest of the day, you're looking for that person. And as long as your focus is out there, it's not here. And many of us, we have become self-centered today. Do you realize that, and most of you do, that we are so easily offended as a country today? People are just so offended by everything. You breathed, I'm offended. It's getting that bad. Why? Because we've become sensitive to self. We've become self-absorbed. Now, how did that happen in this nation? Well, back in 1946, there was a group of people born between 46 and 64 called the baby boomers. They were actually the me generation. Because for the first time, what happened is while they had all of these ethical work ethic and all these different things, they still were going, how can I make things better for myself? Now we fast forward to the millennial generation that we spend all of our time moaning about today. Why? They're a product of our parenting. If anyone's to blame, it's us. It's not our kids. They are the way they are because of what we've done or not done in their life. And so the me generation meets generation me, the millennials. And they can't get along because everyone's wanting to make it about me. But what you need to understand is that for almost 75 years, we've been producing generation after generation that's been making it about me. That's why we are so easily offended today because we've become self sensitive, and self-absorbed. And so as you look around, who is that person today that you can bless? Because here's what starts to happen. It cultivates within us this heart of humility that, guess what? Life is not all about me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for just so many blessings in this church. Father, I want to thank you for all of the kids that we have. And I just pray that, that we would be examples to them and, and cultivate that heart of humility for that next generation, that we can turn things around, that we can become a, a nation once again that is focused on serving and not on selfishness. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.